0: Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I'm Jared Kimber. This is the cricket podcast where I answer your questions. And uh, you know, huge thanks to everyone on Patreon for asking all the questions. And I see there's already a bunch of people in the comments as well. Who've we got over here? Uh, Natesh. big jig, is it? It looks like a big jig. DM95, Ben King, and and a few others in there as well. So thank you to everyone uh, for asking questions. If you're watching live on YouTube, of course, the best way of asking a question is with a super chat. But I go through as many questions as i can at the end anyway um and so you know any comment or any question um it might catch my eye i don't really know what will catch my eye but if you're desperate for to ask a question super chat means i will have to do it um and uh if and if you're like well i can't always be on these lives how does it work well you can go to patreon and that is where we start as always with the people who have paid on patreon to ask the first questions on this show says that really i said that really smoothly and then couldn't remember where the questions were uh, let's start with bailey who says in a lot of sports we've seen analytics show that traditional low-risk strategies are suboptimal uh, he's talking about punting too often on the fourth down in nfl not enough three-pointers in the nba too much um uh bunting in in major league baseball uh these errors were usually caused by teams being afraid to be seen making a mistake in is baseball revealing that a 50 strike rate in cricket is suboptimal and that it is entirely fine to get out playing a silly looking shot. It's interesting. It's interesting on a lot of different levels of this. So if you look at the punting too often on the fourth down in the NFL, American football had everything it needed to know that that probably wasn't something that didn't work particularly well. Right. And so at any stage had, I don't know, a great coach come along in in the 60s, 70s or 80s and just started doing that, I think others would have just followed, right? I think that's fair to say. Uh, Then if you go through to the three-point line in basketball, three-point line in basketball, actually every year basketball teams shot more three-pointers, right? Like there was a natural flow up. So they did know it and they were trying to follow it. It just, you know, uh, it's, it wasn't until analytics, there was a huge boom, but my memory of that graph is that it goes up and up and then maybe has a little bit of a spike at, at various times, but essentially teams did know that it was good and, you know, did try and shoot a little bit more every year. Um, so they were following it, but there wasn't an outlier team who just changed it massively. Right. Um, and, and if you look at those two things, those two te- you know, there was always outside shooting in basketball, right. You know, if you watch Jerry West play, um, shot heaps from outside. And, you know Pete Maravich and those sorts of players, and Oscar Robertson. You know they were always outside shooting, right? Um, so there was always that element. And in in uh, the NFL, teams always knew you know how to get the extra one or two yards at the end. They had all the talents available. I think it's different with fast scoring in Test cricket, and this is the main main reason I would say it's that fast scoring in Test cricket. The skills are, and I mean the repeatable skills to do it over and over again. Obviously, Trump has scored fast and Viveridge has scored fast and everything else. But the repeatable skills for ev- for everyone to have really come quite late, right? So I don't think it's just a case of um, everyone else being too defensive for all those years. Before Jeff Marsh, we didn't really have you know that kind of – or Desmond Haynes, we didn't really have those kinds of accumulators, right? That then leads into that sort of ricky-ponting – Um, you know, Virat Kohli style of player, Uh, uh, Joe Root style of player, right? Like all these things had to happen in order to get there. So if we, if let's say we are playing a test match in 1975, right? One day cricket basically doesn't exist, right? Before the first men's world cup and the players all tried to play this style. I just don't think they would have had the games to be able to do it. Whereas I think if you put a three point line in the basketball there, there were probably players who could just shoot from out there. And if you told all the NFL players, you're just going to go on every fourth down, regardless, you're not, you know, unless we're like more than five yards away from the, from the um, touchline, uh, we're, we're not going to do it. Right. Um, uh, from, from the downline, sorry. Um, uh, we're just not going to do it. I think they would have been like, okay, well, we can work this out. Right. Um, or, you know, tell the baseballers, are oh, you not going to bunt anymore? Right? We didn't have those skills in cricket until 1975, They weren't really perfected until 2000 to 2005. Um, And then they then got a big tweak again with T20 cricket, you know, around that 210, 215 point. So the evolution of cricket hadn't actually caught up to all those other things. Um, So I think it would be very hard to say, even from that point of view, that, you know, all these teams should have been playing more aggressive for all those years. Pitch technology as well. You know, curators now, the pitches are generally just a lot better than they have ever been in terms of quality. Like we don't get as many wickets that are uh, unsafe. We don't have uncovered wickets that get wet and tricky. We don't have the sort of fourth innings wickets where you, no one's going to be able to score any runs on as consistently. Right. We we still have little bits of all those different things at times, but the pitchers had to catch up as well. So again, like, like imagine telling, I don't know, um, imagine telling wg grace in 1880 that he needs to score quicker and, and he's like guys there's literal cow shit on this <laughs> bitch the ball's going both ways these bowlers don't even know what they're doing so i don't even know how to line them up properly like i you know and there were many times throughout you know, the history of cricket where i just don't think that was would have been great now it, it, your question is basball revealing that the 50 strike rate in cricket is suboptimal And then it's entirely fine to get up playing a silly looking shot. I think the one thing that I've noticed going back through the history of cricket is that players always played quite attacking shots. But when we got to TV, especially, and we had close-ups of them, and it could be replayed on the news that night, I do think there was a bit more conservatism built into certain players and we're worried about failing a little bit more. I think basketball has probably shown that that is a little bit silly. And as has T20 cricket and Day cricket, I think that all three of those things have played a part. I don't think though a 50 strike rate is suboptimal. I don't think if you are Kane Winson or Raul Dravid or BJ Watling or Craig Brathwaite, um, that you are going to be able to go out there and score with a great strike rate. And we've seen lots of attacking players come in and fail before, like Jason Roy and Alex Hales, right? But if you're backing the players, And you're, you know, legitimately telling them, look, we just think you're good at this. And if you do average 35, as long as you do it in a way that occasionally has a big impact and we can win a game on the back of it, that's okay. Then I think there's an element that you could do that. But I don't think all players have the repeatability in their attacking strokes. They're not all going to be in a good environment. They're not all going to be prepared the same way as English players. We had already seen, you know, from 1950s through to 1990s, there was an uptick in strike rate. So I think there is all those things matter, but the bats are better and the pitches are better and the athletes are better. They can run more between the wickets and everything else. So I think this is more of a natural convergence of all those factors rather than cricket just being in a position where it was missing something obvious. Um, We could be wrong. Maybe in five years, I'll be wrong. But I think a lot of things that still need to come together for you to be able to play this, um, um, mode, but there are a lot of things from basketball that are very repeatable for other teams. Like the manufacturing of wickets, I think is certainly a lot of other teams can, can look at. And I think that too much of test cricket was just, we'll just keep bowling at the top of off stump or even outside in the corridor, um, of off stump. And eventually a batter will make a mistake. I think probably the 2000s proved that that was a pretty stupid way of playing unless you had an elite bowling lineup. Um, you know, and that was quite a defensive model. And I, so I think there's quite a few little things like that. You know, selections, cricket selections. I, I, I've all, you know, I've been saying this since I was a kid. They don't make sense, right? We don't select players and give them a chance to actually do what they should be doing because of the way that we we set up this, the 11 is this holy thing. And then if you're not in the 11, well, you might not even be in the next squad. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If you're the 12th best player now, you should be in the next squad, right? Like, how, how has that happened? Or... The opposite is true. Well, the last time you went to Sri Lanka, you were really good. Maybe you should go back to Sri Lanka again. Oh, but you're out of form now. But maybe your skill set is part of the reason that you were good in Sri Lanka. So I do think there is parts of baseball that can move the game forward as well. But I don't think it's a case that cricket was... uh, And and there are things, I think, in cricket... You know, I think the reluctance to bowl the bouncer is probably a really, really obvious one um, that took a long time... A a little bit more like the three-pointer. Took a long time for cricket to just work out, wait a minute, this is hard to control. If we just did this a lot, uh, this would work. Um, I think the over-reliance on swing bowling when it's like, well, actually, the better thing is for you to have uh, pace and or bounce um, or deadly accuracy rather than swing, which we can't always control and doesn't always happen anyway. You know, so I, I do think there are some really obvious things that cricket has got wrong over the years, but I don't think scoring at a strike rate of 70 is one of them. Because if that was the case, I think we'd have a lot more outliers who would have scored, who would have high averages with fast strike rates. And we didn't. (laughs) Will says, should the switch hit be banned? So for those who don't know, you might've seen this news story because it did weirdly go a bit viral, but I happened to be commentating with Kevin Peterson and Harsha Bogle when they had a disagreement about the switch hit. What Harsha was saying is the switch hit should be banned if a bowler can't make a decision of which um, um, to to be using, and I think there's another question about it in, in a in a little while. Um, as in a batter shouldn't be allowed to go from right hand to left hand if a bowler isn't allowed to go from right hand to left hand, which I think was a fair comment from Arsha Bhogle. But of course, he said it to Kevin Peterson, who is Mr. Switch Hit, right? And I don't think Ashish was saying it to stifle innovation within the game. He was just pointing out a um a logical fallacy. I mean, he's dude's an engineer, right? Is it engineer? I think he was an engineer. He was pointing out a logical fallacy within the laws of cricket, which I agree with. Um, So should the switch hit be banned? No. But I think bowlers should be able to say which side of the wicket they're bowling from. And they don't have to necessarily say which arm that they're going to be bowling from. But there's another question on this. So we will get um to that again in a moment. Vikas says, Rayan Ahmed lacks control in tests. Going at nearly five runs and over is too much. But he looks so comfortable in batting. Wouldn't be surprised if he became a batter who could bowl in the future. Yeah, I I think there's a few people um, that I've already talked to that think that. I don't know if he's quite at that level of batting. I I think his bowling will be fine. He's a young leg spinner. Why would we expect him, and who's barely bowled, why would we expect him to be consistent, right? Because of his all-around skill. And because there aren't any other leg spinners in England, and he can roughly land the ball where he needs to, he'll probably get to play for two or three years, you know, coming in every now and again, maybe on flat pitches, maybe on spinning wickets, you know, uh, perhaps one day replacing um, uh, Jack Leach occasionally when they maybe only want 15 overs from a spinner, but they want a little bit more batting, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, So I I think I don't have any issues uh, with with that. I worry about a wrong independent first-class bowler just because... I'd never seen one really work before, so maybe it will. But I need to see it before I can, you know, fully uh, go into it. But you're right; he's not particularly accurate. Um, uh, England might replace him with Bashir on the next game. They might also play two seamers in the next game, uh, with you know what Joe Root has already done, or they might be terrified of overbowling Joe Root again. Avanab says in some other sports administrators seem to frequently inflate stadium attendance numbers. A game may be called a sellout when it's obvious that there are thousands of empty seats. This might be explained by the fact that attendance is reported based on tickets and passes, uh, rather than on game attendance. Does cricket similarly inflate attendance numbers? It definitely used to, <laughs> um, I think most sports now it's harder to do, right? Cause there's a lot of live counting done and everything else. Um, but yes, Traditionally, I think it's always done that. It's a really important thing to remember as well that before sort of technology took over these things that it was actually really hard to tell how many people were were in a stadium, um, you know, on on any given day. Um, It's not something that the stadium owners always want out there either. Um, Sometimes the boards or the teams may not want that as well. But yeah, traditionally cricket did this same as any other sport. I I think musicians do it and... Lots of people do it, you know. There's lots of was Hyderabad where they were saying there was twenty five thousand on one day. Was it more than that? Was it twenty seven thousand in one day? But my guess is that there was a little school students were given free tickets. Does that count? Or you know, all all those sorts of things, right? Um, So there's little ways of doing it. You know, some uh, you know, so it, it can be a little bit dodgy, but. Over the last couple of years of sport, I would say we get much more accurate numbers than we ever did before. Um, not all cricket boards release the numbers either, which is another which is another tricky one. But I know I think Australia, England, and India do. I think New Zealand do, um, but I'm not sure if all of the others do. And sometimes you can ask, and they get a bit tetchy when you ask. Um, uh, so yeah, so it is a little bit tricky from that point of view. And don't remember, don't forget with cricket as well. I think you might get situations in some cases where the crowd takes a long time to get there and then people start to leave before the close of play. So how often are the actual older people there is not the same as other sports? It would be my guess. James says, is it easier for a natural in-swing bowler to learn how to bowl an out or vice versa? I would say the majority of the outswing swing bowl- Oh, this is tricky to say because I think most people are outswing bowlers because of the way that we bowl and So because of that, it's more likely for an outswing bowler to learn inswing, but that's because there's more outswing bowlers to begin with. But I would say the majority of the bowlers I know that can swing the ball both ways started swinging the ball away, and then worked out how to swing it back in. Um, I found that again. I I don't know. This is a hard one. I I can. I've said this before. I'm not very good at cricket, but I can do most of the skills. Right? (laughs) Like I can bowl a back of the hand slow ball, and you know I can bowl off spin, and um, I can play most cricket shots pretty pretty comfortably and I, I can even though I'm a spin bowler, I can bowl outswing. If you gave me a ball now, I could probably get it to swing away. Slowly, but it would swing away. And I spent years trying to work out how to bowl in swing. And I remember eventually um, a, a coach who's and, and like this is just for fun. But I remember a coach saying that I had such an outswing action that it would be very, very tough. But having said that, I know lots of guys who bowl in swing who never worked out how to swing the ball the other way. So I would assume Because of the way you kind of collapse as an in-swing bowler, which is one of the reasons you do because you're kind of pushing it across. And so uh, Steve Harmson told me this. I've never heard anyone say this before. But generally, when you try and bowl in-swing, you bowl it a little bit shorter because your body collapses a little bit more. And so you're not um, quite delivering it from the same um, direction. And so generally, balls that swing in are slightly shorter than balls that swing away. So that is almost a flaw within your action that allows you to bowl in swing, whereas an outswing action is probably a very pure action, I would, I would guess. I mean, we're talking biomechanics here, and maybe I'm just basing that on the fact there are more outswing bowlers. But that's the way I would look at those things, um, I think. Um, let's take a quick break uh, here on the wagon wheel, and we'll be back in a moment with more questions. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks, so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Alright. Sandip says what would be India's playing 11 for the next match if you were coach. Oh, I mean I haven't I, I know they've made some changes and obviously Jadeja and and Carol is out, but I haven't looked at who they've brought into the squad. Um and like so a question like that it, it, and it's a perfectly valid question Sandip. Would take me so much research. And also it's too it's easier for me to say Oh, well, Rohit and and Virat are probably going to be in the squad for the World Cup. And so if they're going to play them, this is how they should play them, right? Um, It's much harder if you want me to go from scratch, because I would build the team up completely different probably than most teams would. I mean, maybe not the top seven or eight players. Those are usually fairly universal. But I'm probably more extreme with role players and, you know, players for certain situations and everything else. So that's just not a question I could easily ask. Um, uh, Answer, sorry. I would probably, I would probably bring in cool deep because that gives them still three spinners. But again, it depends on the pitch. I've heard it's going to be really, really flat. Um, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But that was you know the the rumors that got back to me already that it was going to be desperately flat, and that was the idea. So a wrist spinner co- probably makes sense, and you still have Akshar and Ashwin, you know, shoring up the batting, and then you have the three tailenders at the end: uh, 9, 10, and eleven. Uh, you know, as for which batter um, comes in for KRL, again, I haven't even had a look. I know the the changes were made, but I, did, I I was doing something else before I came on this, so I didn't see that. Um, I didn't see the full list there, but uh, that off the top of my head, that makes the most sense. Oh, all right, Muku, the formatting on this question is insane. I don't know what happened to you here. Aditya says it's about the harsher KP switch hit the bat. I knew there was one more question about this. Uh, what do you think? It's annoying how dense KP is. to harshest, well put argument. Um, if you haven't heard it, and that that was the duty saying that, not me, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, he effectively says this: batter shows himself as right-handed bowler and fielder set field from right hand, um, and then batter changes. Whereas the bowler is not allowed to do um, that. Uh, you know, the bowler is not allowed to trick the batter in the same way that the batter is allowed to trick the bowler. That that was harshest point. So I, I just think that. You've got to remember that these are a series of conversations and I'm sure, and also we're saying that Harsha and KP, they were both fine with it. Like, I think there was some news about, you know, KP storming out. I think he was just late to go to his TV gig <laughs> and that's why he was leaving us. Um, uh, But but yeah, I mean, as far as I'm aware, everything's fine between those two. I think with KP, KP, KP heard the band switch hit and then reacted to that. Some of the stuff he said didn't make sense. He was like, if I'm a bowler, I want to bowl to someone who's reversing. Well, that's clearly not always the case. And a lot of bowlers don't like that. So I don't think that is always the case. Um, and the batter is getting an advantage that the ball's not allowed to have. Now, this is where it gets interesting. We now have ambidextrous bowlers. And what KP was saying is, oh, well, if people could bowl right arm, and left arm, they should do it. And it's like, and what Harsha and I were saying is, well, they can. We now have ambidextrous bowlers coming through professional cricket, but they have to tell the batter which arm they're using. I'm going to take this one step further. I don't know how easy it would be for a bowler to run in and then at the last minute decide which arm they were going to use and trick the batter anyway. Right. So in some ways the batter has an advantage. Um, uh, But, but but there's absolutely no doubt when, you know, when looking at all this sort of stuff that it just doesn't really make any sense that the bowler has to tell you what, what arm they're using and the batter doesn't have to tell you what side of the bat you're using. And I think that was the point that we were making and what, and, and just to go on KP's side for a minute, KP saying, "Well, there should be more ambidextrous bowlers, and why aren't they?" Well, it's only taking—it's only the last twenty years that really we've had a lot of people playing, you know, switches and 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 um, reverse sweeps and you know reverse scoops and all those sorts of things as well. So that you can put the law in place beforehand in, in order to do that. It'd be interesting to see if it works. A bowler coming in and. And kind of faking out a, a, a batter. I'm not sure if it would. And the ambidextrous bowlers I've seen so far have usually been quite strong with one arm and quite weak with the other. But we know that there are some ambidextrous cricketers like you know uh, Jofra Archer and um, uh, Alan Border and um, uh, uh, Ian Harvey. And I'm not talking about guys who bowl right arm and bat left hand or vice versa. I'm talking about people who can legitimately bowl both with both arms or throw with both arms. Um, so it. The whole the whole topic is really really interesting, but yeah, I think KP just got. I, to be fair to KP, I mean, he's just put out a tweet about hitting twelves, right? He's all for innovation in, in cricket, and to be fair, so am I, right? I might not agree with his twelve thing, and and the implementation of it, I think, is impossible. But I, I think switch hits and reverse sweeps and steel scoops and everything else are great, and you know, hugely important. I've, I think I did a big video on the evolution of batting is so f- fantastic you know if we didn't have an evolution you know through Ranji or through WD Grace and then Ranji and Trumper we wouldn't have the game that we have now right they all were innovators and it's a reason that all three of them are still talked about now so it's an incredibly important thing and and we should be doing it but we can't just have innovation for batters and say to Paul, no, 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 you need to tell us. And and I think what uh, Aditya is uh, is saying, I think it's his comment because it's all a bit muddled up on my screen, but um, I think what Aditya is saying here is that like, you know, that I've talked about a lot that the you know, the people who make the decisions on the on the laws and the playing conditions generally tend to be batters, right? And because of that, the laws and playing conditions skew towards batters. What Harsher was pointing out. Is as simple as the fact that we don't have to do it. Perhaps he couched it wrong, and what he actually should have said was, um, "We should we should have the switch hit, but we should also let bowlers run in and bowl with either arm uh, whenever they decide." And and I don't think KP knew that was a law, by the way, because it really hasn't come up that much in cricket. To be fair to him, like it, it's very recently we started having ambidextrous bowlers. Uh, James says, can spinners bowl effective wobble balls by setting the seam at a slight angle from the usual cross seam grip and then using the wrist position uh, and release of their stock delivery? Okay, so can spinners bowl effective wobble balls? Well, yes, they could. By setting the seam at a slight angle from the usual cross seam grip and then using the wrist position. Yeah, but once they put the revolutions on the ball, if the revolutions aren't going front to back, like like a normal pace delivery, um, you will lose a lot of the wobble ball of it um i don't know of any spinners who've tried just a traditional wobble ball because i think that is an interesting thing because you could be deadly accurate but i wonder if it moves a little bit too slow um but i've said before that spinners should try the knuckle ball, and i would think there are variations of the wobble ball that could also help them um even as a variation right so let's say they bowl their faster ball and it's hundred and five hundred and ten kilometers an hour, but they're bowling it as a wobble ball. That then makes that incredibly dangerous, right? Maybe not at, you know, eighty-eight ks or eight, whatever it was that Ryan Armour was bowling eighty ks, right? But for finger spinners, I think the wobble ball and the um, knuckle ball would be really, really interesting. So, I haven't learned how to bowl the wobble ball yet, but I have learned how to bowl the knuckle ball, but unfortunately injured my shoulder afterwards. I'm really fascinated to see how bowling two leg spinners um, and then a wobble uh, and then a knuckle ball um, really affects a batter because they're so different. You've got one ball that has nothing but revolutions on it and the next one who doesn't. And again, with the wobble ball, it's kind of like a smarter version of the old um, arm ball. But the batter will know it's not a spin delivery, but they still have to handle the ball. Right? Uh, Thomas says, looking at a lot of the results in India, there doesn't seem to be many close games uh, under 50 runs or three wickets. Is India the country where there are the fewest close test results? um, It's quite a high scoring country. Um, Traditionally, I think Australia, India and Pakistan are the three highest scoring countries. So I would assume that in the countries that are lower scoring, you're going to have more close results than you are in the highest scoring countries would be my guess, Thomas. Um, Without doing any other research, that would make the most sense, um, and then the Indian wickets maybe deteriorate a well, certainly deteriorate a lot more than Australia or Pakistan does at the end. Um, so I don't know if that plays a part in that as well. But I don't, I I don't know. I mean, I could, I suppose we could look that up. Um, I'm not sure that's an easy thing to look up with the information that we have at the moment, but it might be something we could do with like coding or something um but i don't know i don't know how easy that is to look up but if you're asking me if it's true i don't know but if you ask me why it might be the case i would say that they have the highest scoring games and those tend to be you know less close uh, ian says elster cook is the best english test opener of my lifetime but what would his career have looked like if brendan mccullum and ben stokes had been in charge when he came into contention for the england side as a youngster it's a great question um I think the one thing that you need to remember is he would be different if he came in in that generation as well. So I think sometimes we focus a little bit on the, uh, ah, oh, if we put that person in this situation, um, what would they be like? But we're, f- we're not factoring in that Alistair Cook would have played the more limited overs cricket if he was from this generation. Right. So, so I do think that does play a part. I find it hard to think that England wouldn't want an opener who averages, whatever it was, 44 in, in his career. Um, Look, part of the reason they've gone with this method is because they don't have Alistair Cook, right? And they don't have other, they don't have Andrew Strauss, they don't have Jonathan Trott. Like, they had to manufacture something. They Joe Root is still more or less playing as Joe Root, but with a couple of tweaks towards basball when needed. Could Alistair Cook have done something similar? Right? I, d- I don't know. Um, certainly, if he grew up in this generation, he would have played a lot more limited overs cricket, though. He'd have m- a lot more of those skills and so maybe they would be able to use them. But it would change their dynamic if you had that. But I'm trying to think, is it that much different than Greenwich and Haynes or Langer and Hayden if you have just one guy attacking? Because if you think of Greenwich, Haynes, and then Viv Richards, right, you have two attackers and Desmond Haynes who, you know, more... Hey, not a blocker by by any stretch, but certainly more um, of a traditional player, you know, um, than, than the other two were. I don't know if you have his... No, because I don't have his strike rate in test cricket, which is annoying. But his, his strike rate in ODI cricket is like 63, right? Um, and I think Greenwich, was, get, Greenwich wasn't was like an out-and-out out dasher or anything, but he was an aggressive opener who put pressure back on you. Um, so, you know, that still works because uh, then in Australia, you've got Hayden and Ponting with Langer. Although, to be fair, Langer could attack for a little bit and then would die down. There's a, there's a little bit of Australian openers, you know, or well, Langer and Hayden putting pressure back on the opposition in that first session. You know, and Slater did it beforehand as well. Um, but I don't know if you need both players to be doing that all the time, but maybe with the, within the basketball structure you would. But I, don't, I just don't think they would throw – if they had a player like Alistair Cook right now, I think they would play them if we're being honest. Uh, all right, let's just have another quick – oops, that was dramatic. Uh, let's just have another quick at, and then we'll be back with more Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber. That's me. Thanks to the kind folks at Flexispot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro Chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to Flexispot. All right. Welcome back. Let's see. That was Ian, wasn't it? Yeah. So Patrick says, two questions about young Australians. Could Spencer Johnson be the most accurate left-armer ever? Oh, I mean, no, because like there are probably slower left-arm bowlers who are deadly accurate. He might be one of the, the most accurate, fast left-armers ever. I'm trying to think if there's another one. Or Trent Bolt. Trent Bolt probably, isn't it? Um So I don't know if Spencer Johnson's more accurate than Trent Bolt, although Trent Bolt's a swing bowler. Swing bowlers aren't always deadly accurate um, in the way they go. And what are two things more people should know about Aaron Hardy? (laughs) Um, What are things that people should know about Aaron Hardy? Um, I suppose that, again, we're talking about another potential top order all-rounder, which is really, really interesting. Um, Might bat slightly lower in Australia, but, again, we're not looking at someone who is – we're not looking at someone like Ben Stokes or Andy Flintoff or Ian Botham or Kapil Dev um, or Ravager Deja. I think with Aaron Hardy, you're talking about someone who is um, a genuine, uh, you know, t- like a genuine top order batter at, at you know, at test, at test level perhaps. Uh, probably more of a number five, I would say. But again, could bat higher, I think. Um, in a lineup and i think that's the excitement over a player like him um that that we we've certainly seen so far of the ability um i'm just trying to see where he's batted domestically Uh, yes he's mostly batted around that four five six position um, but I think he is, from you know what I've seen, probably a genuine number five. Um, I don't think Australia will ever need him as a number four, but if you had a situation where you had Cameron Green um, and um, uh, Hardy in the side, if you batted them at four and five that, and you get a few overs, if you get, what, ten overs out of each of them, it's an incredibly um, interesting lineup that Australia has the ability to to play with from there he's done very very well with um australia a so far as well um, you know i think he played a game for surrey um it uh, did well so you know in the limited that we've seen him when he's traveled around uh you know made runs in new zealand and sri lanka um so there's a lot of really cool things uh domestically he's got a better av- uh, average away than he does at home um as a batter um uh, you know it's so there's a lot there to like about him uh, it, they don't have to rush him in either, which I like where I think with, with Green, they maybe felt like they had to. Um, they're in a slightly different situation now, you know, with Head and Marsh and, and Green where they can, you know, babysit him a little bit more when he comes into the side. He might even bat at six for for the Australian team as well, which is also quite interesting. Uh, Bloody says, Bloody Bugger says, in a 2012 video in Chapel made for Crick Info discussing Tendulkar's 1992 or, of Australia, okay. He said that adjusting from low bounce to high bounce is harder than the other way around. Do you agree with the statement or is it just biased because subcontinent teams have mostly been worse than Australia during Chapel's lifetime? Well, no, I think I, th- I, think that batters start low, right? As in the bat is on the ground. And so you're already in a position as a batter to be able to, and you're every batter in Australia or South Africa or if they grew up on Sabina Park or wherever it may be, has to still protect their stumps, right? Whereas not every batter grows up having to protect their rib cage and their throat. So I do think there is, so I don't know if it's harder to adjust to high bounce than low bounce, but it's probably, if you're not used to facing balls that bounce up, um, then I don't know how you're going to be good at that. Whereas it doesn't matter where you're from in the world, bowlers are going to bowl at your stumps. So Australian batters, And South African batters are naturally going to be good at protecting their stumps and they're going to handle balls at their, at their chest and, 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 and and those sorts of things. Whereas Asian players will have grown up with far less of that. So I think it's probably more to do with that than the other thing. Um, and most batting is probably done below your waist as well. Like, you know, outside of Australia and South Africa, almost all batting is done below your waist, right? Or certainly below your belly button. So I think, again, it makes more sense for there to be players who are specialists against that kind of bowling than, uh, than uh, you know, the stuff above the waist. Will says, if you're tasked with writing a cricketing musical to get George Dobell to accept musicals as a valid art form, (laughs) what cricketing story and musical style would you choose? I would... uh, He doesn't like musicals. George Dobell, he's a freaking musician. Um, I would do... Um, American astronaut, which is probably my favorite musical of all time, uh, an American astronaut style one about Benny Hal, um, or I would do Hedwig and the angry inch, but about man cat. And if you don't know about those musicals, go and check them. I'm not a huge musical guy, but I love those two movies. I'm sure there's a couple of other musicals that I like as well. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, those, those are the two musicals that come to my mind anyway. Um, And those are the two stories that I matched them with. Say what you will. I did that. That happened right here. We were all part of it. GD says, India lacking in a little bit of ruthlessness. First the ODI World Cup final, and now this test. What about all the other times they've won? And then they have a massive good win percentage on. I mean, it's kind of cherry picking, isn't it, to look at the two losses? Um, They couldn't overcome a batter, let the game, uh, uh, they couldn't overcome one batter, let the game drift at times, and couldn't regroup once their primary plans didn't work. How do they find a way past someone having the best day of their career? It's a really interesting question, this, because England couldn't get past, like, four batters, right? They all just gifted their wicket away. So why are we not questioning England's ruthlessness? Why are we not questioning England's ruthlessness when Ashwin and Barrett were kind of getting them back into the game and Eng- England looked completely clueless? Um, and How do they find a way past someone having the best day of their career? Well, I mean, that... That's going to happen in almost every sporting event you ever play at. I, 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 you know, I teach that in my writing course that it's incredible how often someone will play their best ever game when you were there. It's a really common thing to have happen. Um, it's going to happen to India as much as it's anyone else. That how do you, you can't plan for that? You just plan for the player, right? India had planned for Pope, and Pope played in a way that he had not played before, or more dramatically than he had before, um, and got away with it as well, like some of the luck side of things that could have gone against him. Um, India had their plans for that. Like, they just lost the test, GD. (laughs) That's what happens. They played a interesting, good, maybe inconsistent side who can run hot and cold a little bit. And they got punched in the mouth and they didn't quite react to it. But if Joycewell or KL Raul or Jadeja had made 150, you wouldn't have asked this question and yet the same exact things would have happened. Right? That's just that's how the sport is played. Uh, oh, uh, GD is also asked, how repeatable is Pope's innings? He played extremely well going through sessions of basketball, gritty resistance, and then capitalizing on the softball and tired bowlers, but he not looking in control at least half of his sweeps and laps. How easily could he have gone out to one of those? Well, he was dropped to one of those, wasn't he? It was a reverse, I think. Um, well, Kuldeck coming in for Deja, how should India plan for Pope? Yeah, it's a really tricky one because I kind of feel that if he played the exact same shots again, he probably would be out. Um, But the control percentage against the other spinners in the first 60 runs wasn't too bad. So it was a few dodgy reverses that, that he didn't play particularly well. And, uh, and I'm on your side there. Um l- I think the most important thing is to, uh, and I've thought this for a long time, we put out a sweep. If someone's a sweeper, right? We put out, a deep backward square automatically. So much so that so many players who don't play the sweep still have that fielder out, which to go back to the first question today is that's one of those things that I do think doesn't make any sense. So if you know that they can sweep and they can reverse sweep, why not just put two fielders out and keep the pressure on in every other way, right? And I think doing that means that he's taking a lot of risks for ones, right? And occasionally he will still get a boundary and and everything else. Um, I would start with that, but I would also... I would be getting the spinners around in a huddle to get them to talk about how they deal with reverse sweeps in, um, uh, in limited overs cricket, right? Like how do they deal with people who reverse sweep a lot? Ashwin has had to bowl to this a lot. i has had to bowl to this a lot. This isn't new to them. So what's, what, ta- what things can we bring across from there? The other thing I would say is that with reverse sweeps and, and sweeps, really, bowlers, spinners generally bowl quicker when you start reversing or sweeping. Is actually, quite often it's better to bowl slower. Is that something that's worth looking at for Olly Pope a little bit as well? I don't know. And last one from Patreon is Scott says, what exactly does non-tactics man management aspect of captaining entail? And how much does it matter? You, you've got your bowler to bowl. He's bowled three spells of five overs. He's coming back and you've got a batter who you need to bowl short against and he's exhausted and he knows that the new ball's around the corner, you have to encourage him and, you know, set a good environment for him. So he feels like he's safe enough to go and bowl three overs of bounces. Um, and then if he does struggle with the new ball later, you won't hold him accountable for that because you brought him back for an extra spell. Um, it's, uh, putting an environment around the team where they feel like they can succeed rather than everyone's worried about failure. Um, It's understanding that certain fast bowlers will want an extra slip. Well, actually, most fast bowlers will want an extra ring fielder rather than an extra slip. And you, again, have to put them in a situation where they feel comfortable. You have to understand that some batters bat in a cocoon, and so they almost bat for themselves rather than batting for the team. But that is also part of their success. And so are there ways that you can subtly manipulate and manage and help them? get out of that bubble or is it better to let them in that bubble and explain to the other players that's what they do right so it's no different than an office manager scott everything i've just said would be an office manager or a foreman in a factory or you know a farmer with his staff right it's exactly the same thing how do you get the best out of these people quite often it's how you use them but then you need to explain how you're going to use them, right? So there's heaps of different parts of that um, that any captain or any leader in anything has to deal with. And if you're not thinking about that as a leader, you're probably not leading particularly well, right? Um, All right, that is the end of the Patreon questions. Quick break here and back. Well, actually, just a break here like a normal break here. Uh, and I'll go through any of the questions. Remember, if you're desperate for something to be a- answered here, uh, the best way to do that is always via a super chat. But I'll go through and see if there's anything else that tickles uh, me today here on the wagon wheel with Jared Kimba. Masses of super chats coming through, but a couple of really good non-super chats as well. Just good chats all around. Uh, Drew said, oh, it's better if I put it on the screen so that you can see it. Drew says, who are the more successful natural swing bowlers, in-swing or out-swing? Does it change for format or ball type? Who are the most successful? Uh, so Jimmy Anderson was a natural swing bowler. Um, Boovy is probably a natural swing bowler as well. Matthew Hoggard. Um, Damien Fleming, who are we going back to? Uh, it was really common up until really 2005-ish, which by that point we probably realized that seam bowling made a little bit more sense um, and was more controllable. Southie is a natural swing bowler. I'm not sure if I count Bolt as one, although he's probably there and thereabouts as well. Um, uh, So, yeah, so, uh, you know, Ishan Sharma had probably a natural inswinger. Who else has a natural inswinger? Someone else that I'm missing. Really obvious. It's going to annoy me for a while. Uh, I think Dale Stane's probably someone with a natural outswinger as well. Um, So, yeah, there's a few there. Uh, Does it change for formats? No, it's wrist position, so no. Um... Uh, If you you can swing the ball, uh, the red ball, you can swing the white ball in exactly the same way. We should be able to, um, the amount that the balls swing is very different. So white ball swing massively when they're brand new and then stop swinging. Once the lacquer, um, once the paint peels off, starts to peel off. Whereas red balls, obviously you can keep swinging for quite a long time. So there is a difference in that. Thanks. Drew. Vikas says finally got you on live chat. You did Vikas. Uh, can you put up a live podcast schedule on uh, on a blog sometime? I can't because essentially, you know, we we generally do these around two two thirty um, English time uh, on uh, the wagon wheel, I should say. Me and Bayram generally do Monday nights, but. It's about schedules for me and for Bayram and for for anyone else. Um, Scoreboard, obviously, we try and get up as soon as possible after a game if we're doing it. But for those who come in the chat all the time, Vickers, you'll notice that the times that we put up are just not the times we go. I've got three kids. I'm running a business. um, I'm quite often working for other companies as well. You know, Bayram's working for everyone when he's doing stuff. Uh, It's just, it's not possible for us. We have to do that when we're free basically um but we try and keep them roughly around the same times for our own sanity as much as everyone else but yeah it's not ideal uh question ks barrett was trumped by folks yeah i thought that was interesting too i thought folks actually kept quite poorly as well so i do think that that wicket was maybe a little bit tricky um but by the end i thought um uh barrett struggled a, a little bit more than i would have expected him to but I think if you have, a, I, I haven't looked at the buys count or anything, but my memory was by by certainly the last day and a half of that test, both keepers were missing a lot of balls. So I'm going to put that down probably more to the wicket, uh, especially because they would be more of them, two of the more specialist wicket keepers in the world. It's also possible they just both had average games behind the stumps at the same time. I, I think that's fair. I mean, folks probably missed that catch. Was it off K or Raul? Um, and. That was probably a catch that a wicketkeeper should have got, um, or should have at least got a glove on. So I think there was—I think both of them were a little bit more ragged, but it may just have been the wicket, you know. Especially when you see both doing it. Srikant says Test run rates have gone up because it is a lot harder to buy time and defend against modern attacks that are faster and more consistent with fewer release balls, not because of T20. Um, no, I think I, th- I think T20 and One Day cricket have played a part in this as well, Srikant. I think the more powerful bats have played a part. I think better athletes running between the wickets have played a part. Um, I think te- I think that England specifically, and then following on from England, Pakistan and Zimbabwe, and you could throw Travis Head in, and in this as well, right? I think there was a lot of players who kind of worked out at a similar time that they were slightly flawed and that they could attack and put pressure back on the opposition and that that would be quite handy for them. And so I do think your what you're saying there is partly true. Like if you think of someone like Travis Head, like he kind of I think his big thing was, oh, well let's fi- he was trying to nullify all of his weaknesses, which he had a few of. And then he went, well why don't I flip it and I make the other team have to deal with my strength of I'm going to score so fast um, that it's actually going to put you off, right? And that that you're not going to be able to go with your standard plans to me. Um and I'm going to attack. And I do think that in that, you're probably, there's an element of what you're saying is true. But why can Travis head score in that way? Because of T20 and one-day cricket, right? So if you look at basketball, it's very similar to how England play ODI cricket. So I don't think you can say there isn't a correlation there. They're using one-day um, and T20 skills in test cricket. So I think it's it's a combination of everything. But thank you so much for your um, super chat. And, and it's, a, it's a really, interesting. I suppose with most of these things, the answer is always going to be the same, right? There's just multiple reasons why these things happen uh share a tank share a tank share a tanked says um comms say playing finger spin changed after drs uh how did batters use their pads to play them before drs i haven't watched cricket uh live cricket before drs before drs you could basically have your bat and pad together and take a big step down the wicket and you wouldn't be given out lbw so <laughs> there's some great old footage. I, I don't know if, I don't know if Rob Belinda's ever put up the Carl Rackerman innings. Carl Rackerman was like this big Queensland fast bowler. And I can't remember who he was playing against, but I think it was either England or New Zealand. And he was playing spinners on, on a spinning track in Australia, must have been the SCG. And he just kept putting his giant leg down forward. And literally the ball's hitting him straight in front of the stumps over and over again. And the umpire's like, nope, nope. And, and to be honest, the bowling team's hardly appealing because those weren't given out. So you had your bat and pad together, you would get as far forward as possible and you wouldn't be given. And it's ridiculous. You know, there's some old, I remember looking at some Bisham baby footage recently of, I'm just like, oh my God, (laughs) the way that people played him was ridiculous, right? Like, and you just wouldn't be able to do that. So that's the big difference. If you got a step down, if you used your feet, that's why footwork was more important in those days. Or if you just got a giant stride forward. And if you looked like you were playing a shot, quite often batters weren't even playing a shot. Sometimes you would have the whole, the laughable thing where the batters kind of tucked behind the pad and it still was referred to as a shot. So that is absolutely huge. And then as the W start coming, the bowlers just bowl, you know, more attacking the stumps. So traditional, if you look at off-spin, for instance, especially outside of Asia, it was very much get the ball outside off-stump you know, and you're trying to get a, a gap between bat and pad and spin it back through the gap. Whereas now it's much more, how can we, how can we keep bold and LBW in play as much as possible to keep pressure on? And then, and then occasionally we'll get a straight one across and maybe we'll get an edge. So it's changed a lot. Um, play, you know, Jimmy Adams was known as Jimmy Paddams. And if, if you Google, I think if you Google Jimmy Adams in India, you might get some of the footage of what he did. Um, but yeah, the Carl Rackham one, the Jimmy, Jimmy Adams one, is 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 certainly the case. And it was even worse back in the fifties, which is why they changed the LBW. I think it was the fifties. They changed the LBW law as well. So uh, you know the the spinners were screwed over, whereas seam bowlers were bouncing the ball over the stumps, left, right, and centre, and umpires were triggering LBWs. So it's certainly um, and and it's made. Seam bowlers bowl fuller. So it's, I think it's actually improved the level of cricket uh, because we, you know, the spinners are getting um, rewards for attacking the stumps and seamers are getting rewards for attacking the stumps. You know, that a lot of the 90s, and we talk about that as a great era of cricket, and it was in many ways. There was a lot of bowling a foot and a half outside off stump, right? And just boring as batshit. You know, Jacques Callas, don't get me started. That's absolute no. It's a no from me. Chirag says, my contribution from the 17-to-1 um, bet that England made. <laughs> yeah, so Chirag, I, I can't remember the full conversation, um, but I think he was asking about the odds or, or something along those lines, or maybe I was talking about it. But I thought that the odds for that test were just completely wrong um, all the way through. And I think that m- the more I started following the betting markets, I realized that the market, and I'm not talking about the bookies here, but even the market, if you look at, um, you know, the betting trading sites, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, England were massively in that game. So I think it was, I think England were still somewhere around five or six to one when India went out to bat. I might might be wrong. Maybe it'd come down to four to one by that stage. But it's just like, well, what are we saying here? No one can chase in India. Um, England's going to use a hard ball and in, and India don't have some of their best, most experienced players. Like... I'm not saying that England should have been favourites at that point. It should have been closer to even money. Um, and then the opposite happened when Barrat and and Ashwin were batting together and India was still like out at 6-1. I was like, well, this ball's gone flat. Can no one see this? The ball's gone soft, right? It's going to be really hard for them to get a wicket now, England. It took a dream ball. So uh, thank you for the uh, super chat um, and and for your support. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and, oh, wait, also remember that cricket – 2.0, and playing against the spin recommendations. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed those as well. Oh, Devang has sent a message. I can't see. Oh, no, Muku's got it here. I'll get to it in a bit, Devang. Sorry. Uh, that's Ash said. Uh, with Shah McCauley, KL, Ashwin, Jadeja, and Shemi, and Boomer on the other side of 30, the decline of the Indian Test team has surely started. One thing I would say about this is, it, there's a, I think there's a bit of a mini transition coming up. That's fair. I think also players play a lot older. I don't think 30 is 30 anymore. I think 30s, 30 33, 34 now um, in old monitoring. So it used to be in, in test cricket, you got to 30. Chances are, if you're a bowler, you're on your way out. And if you're a batter, your back was already gone. We know a lot more about things now. You know, we look after players a lot more and everything else. I do think we will see, just the same as we're seeing in all sports, more players playing to an older um, age. So I don't think this is as dramatic as you're saying, but I do think there will be a mini transition. And, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about that. And uh, Juggling geek, juggling geek music. I think I got that right. If Anderson plays the second test, might we see a um used to contain the run rate with folks up at the stumps? Yeah, I, I think he'll bowl with that, keep up the stumps. I think the next couple of years he'll bowl with that a lot because a lot of batters now come down the wicket against team bowling and bat out of their crease and everything else. So I definitely think we'll see more of that when Anderson is bowling. But specifically, because of what you're saying, not that the Indian batters are, are use the crease as much as um, some of you know Pakistan and and um and England batters do, but I still think they do. Um, So there's a chance of him getting a stumping, yes. I would say over the next couple of years, if if he played Test Creek for two more years, I just don't think it's possible for him not to get a stumping because of the way that modern cricket is now being played summit says and this was a super chat as well so thank you very much summit with a lot of discussion uh, sorry with a lot of discourse of batters should play their natural game but isn't natural game pitch dependent on certain pitches defense might come naturally and others um attacking shots i think that you know with me and china doing this book on on you know on their you know 50 great batters and and everything and i think one thing that we're coming across is that most players kind of have their method And it's going to work on certain pitches and it's not going to work on other pitches. It's very rare for a player to be able to chop and change. And there are batters that are like that, that are very, very, you know, um, very good at working in different places. But the truth is to me, most players aren't. They're very good at a few key things that work in certain environments. And a great player might be good at lots of different things. They're not always as good at that. What they have, though, is the ability to gear up and gear down for situations. And you can also take that also for different kinds of pitches. You might be able to do that. But I always said that the whole thing of Sachens and Dilka taking away his cover drive, which is a bit overblown anyway because it's like he did it for like one innings. Um, but the whole thing about Sachins and Dilka taking away his cover drive and Virat Kohli not taking away his cover drive is because one of them used their cover drive to put pressure back on the opposition and the other one just used it when people overpitched outside off stump right? So all players are different in the skills that they have and the skills that they can adjust on a different pitch or in a bad form run or against certain kinds of bowlers. Um, but the best players are usually the best players because their main strengths are just so strong and are so universal that they will always get them out of trouble. And which says, why do teams move slips to start bouncing the tail? Essentially because tail don't like it. It can, um, it, the tail enders have got really good at getting behind the ball and they're you can get a lot of wickets very quickly by doing that. And by the time you get to the tail, you want to get those wickets out as quickly as possible. You don't want to keep working your bowlers. So teams are taking a chance on the fact that the runs might come quickly, but the wickets might also come quickly. And because of those two facts, they'll still get their bowlers off quicker. And overall, they see it as a, you know, as a decent way of of going about. Sometimes it's used incorrectly as well. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the main reason why it happens. And where's my man? Devang says, should India go back to Pajara? No, I don't think so. Um... (laughs) I kind of don't think you should ever say no to any of these things. Like I think the modern, especially Indian cricket fans, you there's so much talent. It's just like, oh, we'll get the next guy in. We'll get the next guy in. And it's like, well, if you just keep doing that, you end up rotating through players, and no one ever gets a proper go. And you're only then picking the guys who happen to score runs in their first five tests rather than actually maybe the players who might be the best. So I think that Pajara and Rahane and, you know, any any sort of, if Kale was dropped, all those players should be kept around and you should be using them when it works. I don't think there's anything that I have, if you've asked, I, I know it's you Devon, you're asking because of what happened in the last test. I don't think there's anything from that last test that suggests to me that Pajara has to come back in, but also wouldn't get rid of him altogether because there aren't many Chiteshwar Pajaras in the history of test cricket. And so with that, I do think that you always want to be in a situation where you are using your talent to the best of its ability and if that's keeping him around and then occasionally bringing him for a couple of tests I think that's a fine way of using him Uh, and or you know keep him around the squad so you've got like almost like a batting coach in the squad available to you who can then come in and play in tough conditions I think is also fair but if you're asking me if you should come in for the second test based on what happened in the first test I don't think I see any massive reason to be able to do that Uh, no massive reason to do that i should say that's it uh we got through super chats and a few non-super chats there so huge thanks to everyone who was in the comments again today uh if you haven't liked this video and you're here please do because it helps us massively uh but also subscribe and everything else but huge thanks to everyone from patreon and on youtube today for supporting us again i'll be back again for another podcast probably next week uh, but there's plenty of other stuff coming up, you know, red Incas and um, footmarks chats and everything else. But I'm Jared Kimber, and this is The Wagon Wheel, and I'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baran Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kabirka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Social media nightmares keeping you up after you turn out 25 minutes of gold on your podcast? It's time to wake up to Memento FM. They find the best designs for your posts transforming your videos and podcasts into great social media posts. Join Memento FM today.